0: Chapter 8 of Practical Instruction for Detectives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This has been read by Roslyn Carlyle. Practical Instruction for Detectives by Emerson W. Manning. Chapter 8 Detective Work in Department Stores there are in my opinion no business concerns that suffer a greater loss nor are occasioned more worry than are the department stores of our large cities annually they lose thousands of dollars worth of merchandise mainly through the operations of store thieves known as shoplifters and through the dishonesty of employees in any of our large up-to-date department stores the services of no less than a dozen trained detectives, both male and female, are required to properly guard such stores against thefts. Inasmuch as as department stores offer one of the broadest fields for private detectives, I shall set forth some of the many ways by which such stores are robbed and defrauded daily. Also one of the best-known methods for detectives to cope with the offenders. As previously stated, in department stores, both male and female detectives are employed. Although I have known instances where experienced female store detectives have been of valuable assistance to department stores, male detectives as a rule can give the best protection. The store detective must be a person of good, sound judgment, be able to think and act quickly, and must always be alert and wide awake during business hours at the store where he or she may be engaged. It is essential that store detectives dress well, but not conspicuously. And while in the store, if the detective be a man, he should wear his hat and coat at all times. If it be in the winter time, the detective should wear a light overcoat, and on rainy days, should carry an umbrella. It is a very good plan for the detective to carry a package under his arm, the purpose of all of these things being to give out the impression that the detective is a customer instead of what he really is. The detective should keep moving about in the store, pretend to make purchases, and if possible change his hat and coat several times a day. In order to emphasize the necessity of these things, we will look at shoplifting for a few moments from the shoplifter's point of view. Usually, when a shoplifter decides upon some particular store to operate in, he or she may first visit the store a dozen times if necessary in order to pick out the store detective. After becoming satisfied on this point, the shoplifter figures on how best to avoid the persons he or she has picked out as being detectives. Then they will begin to operate. The professional shoplifter, if she be a woman, usually wears, during cold weather, a long coat and wide skirt, in which are capacious pockets for concealing and carrying off stolen merchandise. The shoplifter rarely will bother with cheap merchandise, but will confine her thefts to valuable laces, silks, burrs, jewellery, etic, which she secretes in the pockets of her skirt or coat. During the summer season, when it would be out of place to wear a coat, the shoplifter takes advantage of the rainy days and enters stores with her umbrella, in which she secretes and carries off such articles as she may find an opportunity to take from the counters unobserved by the clerks or floor-walkers. Very often, a professional shoplifter will take with her to the store a confederate, especially if she has reason to believe that her operations have aroused the suspicions of any of the store's detectives. The confederate will proceed directly to the lady's toilet or restroom. After the shoplifter has taken one or more articles, she joins her confederate, and unobserved passes the articles to the confederate. Then, in case she has been watched or is arrested upon leaving the store, no goods will be found on her person. I have known careless store detectives to arrest shoplifters whom they observed stealing goods in the store, but who did not have the goods on their persons when they were arrested. When an arrest of this kind is made, it is usually the beginning of serious trouble for the management of the store the detective will have played into the hands of the shoplifter. She will promptly take advantage of the circumstance and bring suit against the management for false arrest. Ordinarily, department stores do not relish such undesirable notoriety. Damage suits are expensive, so usually they settle such cases. If the shoplifter, after having been observed taking some article, enters the rest or toilet room before leaving the store, it will be best for the detective not to take any chances in causing her arrest for the reason just mentioned. The detective, as a rule, should not make an arrest under any circumstances until after the shoplifter has left the store. I have known cases where shoplifters and store thieves were arrested inside of stores with stolen goods on their persons, but who, immediately after being arrested, set up the claim that, They had no intention of stealing the goods. Oh, they were just taking the goods to the light to examine them. Later, when their cases came up in the court, they would be represented by shrewd attorneys, who took advantage of the law itself by maintaining that inasmuch as the goods had not been taken from the premises of the store, no theft was committed. I would state that as a rule, if the detective is watchful, he will have no difficulty in picking out the shoplifters. Persons so bent usually keep looking about them furtively to note if anyone is watching them. Quite often they are nervous and flit quickly from one counter to another. If the detective be in doubt, he usually can, with half an hour's careful watching, determine to his own satisfaction the real purpose of any person's visit to the store. Department stores suffer serious losses through the operations of other classes of criminals who make a practice of preying on such stores a large department store of the present day may have on its list from one to two thousand customers who have with the store what are known as charge accounts such customers may visit the store make a purchase and have the amount of same charge to their account often they make such purchases by telephone or they may send a maid or other person to the store to make the purchases A certain class of store swindlers make it a point to ascertain the names of persons having such accounts at stores, after which they visit the stores, impersonate the customers, and very frequently secure and make off with goods of great value. Usually, such swindlers are not discovered until the end of the month, when the customer receives his or her bill. But by which time the swindler may be in some distant city preparing to victimize another store. Dishonest employees and discharged employees are usually responsible for giving out information regarding customers' charge accounts. The swindler, however, can easily secure such information in many other ways. We have also the store swindler who goes to some large city and purposely registers at a leading hotel. He then visits a department store. Purchases an expensive suit or overcoat, in payment of which he tenders a bogus cheque. He requests that his purchase be delivered to his hotel, which may be done, but the swindler will be gone long before the store discovers that it cannot realise on the cheque. One may ask how stores can be so easily victimised. There are two reasons, and they apply not only to this class of swindle, but to many others as well. The swindler may have, by his smooth and suave manner, impressed the management or clerk that he was all that he represented himself to be, and they, in an unguarded moment, allowed themselves to be swindled. On the other hand, it may have been the anxiety of making a sale at a good profit with an apparently good customer that may have caused them to overlook ascertaining the genuineness of the swindler's cheque before delivering the goods another source of loss by department stores is through dishonest clerks being in collusion with outside parties a clerk for instance employed at a silk or lace counter will have a friend or confederate call at her counter during the day a yard of silk may be purchased and paid therefor But it is quite an easy matter for the dishonest clerk to cut off, and have wrapped, a yard and a half or two yards of the material purchased. I have known respectable, well-to-do women enter into such arrangements with clerks at stores, seemingly treating such matters lightly and even telling their friends about such transactions. There are innumerable other ways by which employees steal from stores. Some clerks inclined to steal become very bold, and very often carry out openly stolen goods that they claim to have purchased. At thoroughly up-to-date stores, all clerks and employees, when leaving the store in the evening, are required to leave by some certain exit, where there is stationed a watchman who examines all packages that are carried out. The watchman holds up all packages that do not bear the OK of some floor-walker, or other official of the store. During such times as the Christmas shopping season, which in large cities begins about November 1st, the management of large stores find it necessary to double their detective forces, and well they may, as November and December are the months during which shoplifters, pickpockets, and others figure on reaping their harvests. Pickpockets in stores must also be given attention by the store detective. Customers do not relish having their purses or pockets picked while in stores. And when it does happen to a customer, he or she usually remains away from that store in the future. Much more might be said upon the subject of department store detective work, but I believe what has been gone into will be sufficient to guide the average person in this branch of the work. End of chapter 8